0: We're turning tonight to the book of Job, Job chapter 13. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of the chapter together. Let's hear the word of God. Job chapter 13. You find a place. Get the Psalms, just turn back, you'll come to Job. Let's hear the word of God. Lo, mine eye have seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I am not inferior to you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would all together hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleading of my lips. Will ye speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Will ye accept his person? Will ye contend for God? It is good that he should search you out. Or as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock him? He will surely reprove you if ye do secretly accept persons. Shall not his excellency make you afraid and his dread fall upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies to bodies of clay. Hold your peace, let me alone that I may speak. And let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. For an hypocrite shall not come before him. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious, infallible, and inerrant word. Now, my text tonight is taken from Job chapter 13, verse 15, and I've entitled this evening's message, Trusting God in the Midst of Great Trials. The book of Job opens by introducing us to a godly Old Testament believer. He was a man who feared God. He hated evil he loved doing righteously. His name was Job. He lived in the land of Oz. He was a contemporary of Abraham, and Job, remember, came under the attack from the power of darkness. Satan, after a question and answer session between him and God, was permitted to afflict Job. The devil, remember, was permitted to strip Job of his wealth and his possessions, so he lost his farm and all his animals. Job then had to face the death of ten adult children. His body was then inflicted with painful boils. His wife urged Job to curse God and die. Now, I believe that Job was completely unaware of what was taking place in the heavenly places. Remember how the devil threw the challenge out before God. God asked him have you considered my servant Job? The devil responded, does Job serve thee for naught? And despite all his losses, Job still worshiped the Lord. Job cried out in chapter 1 and verse 21, he said this, naked Came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither? The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You see, Job was not going to blame God for all his problems, even though he couldn't understand why all these bad things were happening to him. Now, of course, Job was sad. Of course, he was perplexed. Job was despairing. He was even depressed. He lamented his losses. He felt them keenly. He, He couldn't understand his misfortune. His three best friends arrived, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so forth. After seven days of silent grief, his three friends tried their best to discover the reason for his suffering. They erroneously assumed that Job must have sinned somehow, Because only sinners suffer in this way. Not the righteous. The righteous, well, they're blessed, not blasted by God. So they chastised him for his sins. They branded him a hypocrite. And they tried to correct him with their counsel. Now Job sat in silence. And Job listened to their lengthy lectures. At last it was up to the third man called Zopher. He suggested Job deserved even greater grief because Job was questioning the reason for his sufferings. He pompously urged Job to stop sinning and to focus on the fact that he was under the deserved punishment from God. Now think of that. You deserve all that happened to you, Job. When we come to chapter 13... Chapter 13 is part of Job's continual answer to these accusations, especially that of Zophar. And as he does so, he utters a marvelous declaration of God's sovereign authority and providence. And in so doing, he utters what many have said are time-honored words. Look at verse 15. Here's our text. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for an hypocrite shall not come before him. Now, these are Holy Ghost-inspired words. And it's right that these words have been adopted by many Who have had faith in God even when bad things were happening to them, bad things that they could not understand. And I have to tell you tonight, bad things are happening in the professing Church of Jesus Christ. These are days of apostasy and false teaching. And bad things are happening in the life and witness of the country. We're facing a crisis. These are calamitous times. And like poor Job, remember all he wanted was his friends to listen to his complaint and do their best to comfort him. But they didn't. So in his woe and anguish, he turned to the Lord. He, he pleaded to know why all this was happening to him. And Job, of course, did not know about the conflict taking place in the heavenlies between God and Satan. And although Job lamented, Job never ever denied the Lord, like Peter with oaths and cursings. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his unanswered questions, at times at the point of despair, Job stated under inspiration to his three friends, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him He also shall be my salvation For an hypocrite shall not come near him Last weekend These words came home to my mind On the Sunday evening I thought of a title I wrote it down Trusting God in the midst of great trials There's four things in this text That I also wrote down beside that title One One This is a confessional statement of faith. The words, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, are the affirmation of a godly saint. This is a tremendous statement, I believe, of true faith. Now think of it. Job has lost his wealth. His farm is gone. His livestock have been wiped out. He's been left penniless. He's a pauper. He had the life crushing blow of 10 adult children dying in one day. Children whom he loved, children whom he prayed for. He's lost the affection and support of his wife, and I've no doubt he loved her too. Her advice was curse God and die. You see, she blamed God. She was mad at God. Job also lost his health. Think of his body full of loathsome, painful sores, boils, scratching bleeding, itching. He lost the respect of his four best friends, three older men that we've mentioned and one younger that came along later. And they judged him by sight. They suspected that Job was a secret sinner. Job, you're a boozer. You've got drunk somewhere. Job, you're a womanizer. Job, you're an idolater. Job, you're a gambler. Job, you're a hypocrite. Job, you've got a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. You're you're play-acting as a Christian. And what does Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job, what is Job saying here? It's a statement of faith. It's an affirmation of a godly man. He's saying, I am willing to utterly surrender fully and totally to death, if God wills, though he slay me. That is God putting him to death. If God is pleased to kill me, I'm ready. I'm committed to his will. I'm fully surrendered. I'm content with that. You see, every true believer is surrendered to a measure to the Lord. We sing, I surrender all. Job could sing that in truth with integrity. I surrender all. Even my life, Lord, I submit myself to death. And even in that, Lord, if you come and put me to death, I will trust you. You see, the majority of believers today imagine that God would never put our lives at risk. He would never put our life on the line for him. That that couldn't be God's will. But remember the apostle Paul, he was going up to Jerusalem, people pleaded with him, don't go Paul, the Jews are going to kill you there, they, they, they've planned, there's 40 of them, they're, they're awaiting to kill you. What does Jew- Paul say? Acts 20 verse 24, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Don't go Paul. It's possible that death awaits you there. The Jews are going to kill you. But Paul, like Job, was surrendered to the will of God. I want to ask tonight, how and to what degree are we fully surrendered to the will of God? I know that one day we will all die. But the reality is that we do love life. We want to continue as long as we can. We plan for tomorrow, next week. Next month, next year, the next 10 years. We plan for a happy retirement. We plan for a long life. Remember Paul says, Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. You see, this is a confessional statement of faith. It's the affirmation of a godly saint And he's teaching us about his faith in God. And in the darkest hour of his personal experience, when that great darkness had come upon him of all that he suffered, he says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I believe it's also a confessional statement in the sense that it's the answer to Satan. You see, this is Job refuting the devil's slander against him. If we were to read chapter 1, you've got a record of what took place in the heavenlies. There's a conversation between the Lord and the devil. And the Lord said to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? And what was the devil's response? Doth Job serve God or fear God for naught? Don't be boasting to me about Job. He's doing well. He's being well looked after. He's been paid well. He's religious because he's been well rewarded. He's religious because it pays him to be religious. But you take it all away from him. I'll tell you what. He'll curse you to your face. He'll deny you. He'll sin against you. So the devil was given permission to attack Job. First the farm and the possessions. Then the family Then it's health and strength. The devil assured God, you'll see then Job will realize that his religion is not paying and he won't serve you and he won't love you and he won't worship you. In fact, he'll curse you. He'll sin against you. He'll cast you aside like a piece of garbage. Now, what's Job's answer? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job had submitted humbly, meekly, believingly, and joyfully to whatever God's will was for him, even to the point where God would come and put his hand upon him and take away Joe's life. And this was a blow, I believe, to the devil and all that he stood for. So when you think of Job 13 verse 15, it's a confessional statement of faith. That's the first thing. The accurate. The affirmation of a saint and the answer to Satan. But there's something more that struck my thoughts last Sunday evening, and it was this. This is a challenging statement of faith. You see, this was an uttered challenge. Because this statement was uttered by Job when he was undergoing great Trials. This was Job's darkest hour. You've got to think of a man of God facing the worst physical conditions ever. You've got to think of a man of God facing the worst personal circumstances ever. Job's undergoing severe trials. He's not only facing the fire, he's in it. He's not only facing the flood. He's in the middle of it. This is a day of testing, a day of trial. And you know, sometimes we think, I couldn't face the fire. I couldn't face the flood. Yet the reality is this, that true, genuine faith in the heart and mind of a child of God, whenever the day of trial and trouble comes, that faith of his seems to be increased. It seems to blossom. It it, it seems to to come to the fore. It it, it seems to be nurtured. And the testimony of God's people everywhere, whether in Russia, Ukraine, Northern Ireland, or in other places where there's intense and severe persecution, the testimony of God's people is this. When they face and undergo the most wretched, miserable conditions and challenge them, they face up to those conditions, those challenges with great faith in the Lord. They don't forget him. They don't forsake him. They trust in him. Someone has said that faith lives best in the midst of fiery trials. I want you to think of gold. When's gold at its purest? And the answer is... Well, it's in the midst of the fire. And true faith is like gold. In the midst of the fire. Here's the godly believer. An Old Testament child of God. And he's surrounded by many problems. Perplexing things. Painful things. He's got pressures things that he doesn't understand and true faith stands it shines victoriously and true faith always gets the victory in the worst possible situation condition and circumstance you think of this the worst thing that could happen to you what do we imagine the loss of a job a car accident The death of a child, your bodily health and strength gone, you lose the respect of your wife, maybe your wife walks out on you. Is that the worst? See, see, if we ask Job, what's the worst thing that could happen, Job? You you think of that. Is it being struck with a physical disease? Is Is it being left with a stroke? Is it being paralyzed? Is it loss of material possessions? Here's the worst. No, he slay me. He slay me. The worst for me would be when God moves to kill me. When God moves to slay me. When God moves to take away my life. Even then I'll continue to trust him. See, that's what I mean by undergoing great darkness. True faith flourishes best in the face of hardship. Affliction, difficulty, pain, woe, and anguish. True faith doesn't blame God. True faith doesn't berate God. True faith turns to Him, blesses Him, casts the burden of it all on Him. This is another challenge from the lips of a godly man in the midst of great trials. But I want to tell you, it's a unique challenge. I've asked you to imagine the worst thing that can happen. What's the worst ordeal that you could face, Job? Though he slay me, I'll continue to trust in him. Think of that introductory word, the word though. Do you know that that word though is very important? If you turn over to Psalm 23 for a moment and read with me in the verse 4, you know the words, but I'm getting you to look it up because it's good that you see it. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk. Now, now, let's think for a moment. The psalmist is an old man looking back in life. He's made his confession. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Mine. And because of that, I not want. And then he has this confidence He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. It's all about what he has done for me. And he's he's overwhelmed and excited by that. And then he adds this. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through. Do, Do you see that? True faith even looks forward to dying. The death of the righteous. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The Shepherd, savior, king, friend is with him. He's not alone. He doesn't have to fear. He can let go of his fears. He's not afraid. Why? Because he has turned to him. He is trusting in him. He can talk to him even in that valley. Look at chapter 27, verse 3. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear the war should rise against me. In this, will I be confident? To those in the verse 3. Even if a mighty army comes and encircles me, to to, to enslave me, I'll still trust in the Lord. I'll not be overcome by fear, I'll not let it rule me. Remember Psalm 46, if you come to that, verses 1 and 2 God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble, therefore, will not we fear. Listen to these words though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. Here's a tremendous truth God is. What is He? He's our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, in light of that, will not we fear. In light of that, we'll let go of fear. We'll have faith in God we we'll remember God is faithful. Even though cataclysmic things could happen, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the... Though the waters are of roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. See, think about that. Think about earthquakes happening, tsunamis. Think about terrible things happening in the earth. Many of you are concerned about the things that are happening in the house of God, and rightly so. Many of you are concerned about what's happening in the country, in the major cities, in the towns, in the villages, in the rural hamlets. But I ask this question. In the midst of things that you can't explain or understand that are happening, Where's your faith? This is where it ought to be. It ought to be in the Lord. You see, this is a unique challenge. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. True faith envisages the worst of events dying in the valley of the shadow, a war coming, cataclysmic things happening in the earth. And what does true faith do? It envisages those worst events and it says, yet will I trust him. Remember what he says in Romans 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, for I am persuaded, here's Paul's persuasion, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord true faith bows in he and says as for god his way is perfect you see this is not only a confessional statement but it's a challenging statement another challenge by job a unique challenge let me tell you something else oh this is a comforting statement of faith See, I'm amazed at Job. His faith was this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Can you get that picture? This is great faith, is it not? This is genuine faith. And what was it based on? What was it founded on? It had to be founded on the revelation of God himself. It had to be founded on the fact that That God had spoken and revealed himself to Job. Job had lost all family, farm, ten other children. The respect of his wife. He's poor now. He's penniless. He's in loads of pain. He's an old man. Do you know why I believe that Job aged? I believe that people really didn't recognize him. People would come and see Job with the boils and scraping them with a piece of pottery and the blood coming forth. And they'd be saying, is that really you, Job. See, in his pain and his sickness, it was hard to bear. And he was made wretched. But Job's utterance isn't based on human reasoning. It isn't based on what he thinks or feels or sees. It's based on what God has said. And you see in this book, God comes to every believer. And he says this, have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty two. And it's faith in God no matter what happens. And no matter what others say or think or do. And no matter what others' reasoning is, you're not to trust in your reasoning. You're to trust in revelation. Over there in the book of Hebrews, we read this in Hebrews chapter 11 and in the, uh, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Remember Abraham, the friend of God, the father of the faithful. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 to 25. He's a great example. We we read there in Romans chapter 4, and I believe it's the verse 21, if my memory's right. Romans 4 and verse 21. Listen to these words. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, Abraham was an old man, a hundred years of age. Sarah was 90. And God had promised him, you're going to have a baby together, a baby boy. And we're going to call him Isaac. And he's the son of promise. He's the heir. What about the laws of biology, Lord? What about the laws of history? A hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman never have had a baby before. What about the laws of probability? It's hardly going to happen. Remember, Sarah laughed. What do we read? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He trusted in that word. He re-embraced that revelation of God. It was great faith. That trusted God for the son Isaac. Reason said it can't, it won't happen. Revelation said it can, it will happen. And what did Abraham do? He trusted in the Lord. What's your faith based on tonight? Is it the written, the spoken word of God? Is it on who God is? as he revealed himself in the personal word of Christ? See, we've said to you before, don't, don't put your faith and trust in the church. The church will fail you, the church will let you down, even the free Presbyterian church. Don't put your faith and trust in the baptismal font. How many have been baptized as infants? And yet, that, that's what they're resting on to get them to heaven. Don't put your, your faith in good living. True faith, true genuine faith. People say, I've got my faith, but what does that mean? Is it faith that clings to the word of God? Is it faith that rests in the promises of God? Is it faith in God's revelation of himself as revealed in the person and work of Christ? That's what I mean when I say that this indeed is a comforting statement. Let me close. You see, true faith is also not only founded on the revelation of God, but it's rooted in a final recognition of God. What did Job say? He said this, though he slay me. What was he speaking about, young people? He was speaking about the day of his death. And you see, Job recognized it by death. God is at work. He recognized that one day I will die. And he remembered that it is by death God works his will in us. God doesn't want us to fear death. God wants us to deliver us from fear of death. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, Psalm 23 and 4, Philippians 1, And it was by the death of Christ in the cross that, that we're converted. And we were converted by being brought to a state of death to sin. Death to hell and, and the wrath of God. And, and it was through this conversion work that we overcome every obstacle. When we thought about getting saved, the devil come and said, you're too young, you're too sinful, you're too old. It's too soon, think about tomorrow. But we got the victory. Why? Because the power of the cross was at work. We were brought to death to sin. And by death, remember, we're advanced in the path of holiness and the process of sanctification. Paul says, I die daily. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I felt the dying of being crucified with Christ in my body. See, crucifixion was a living death. It didn't happen instantaneously. Ours. Do you know that in some... Out of the 30-odd thousand that were crucified by the Romans in Palestine, it was days before they died. The agonizing thought of that. It's it's a living death. And and, and Paul says, I feel that dying in my body. I was speaking to a neighbor this week. When I passed him, he was on his knees. I was praising him for being on his knees. And I said, "Uh, have a prayer for me when you're there, Sam. He said, well, I'm pulling out the weeds. I thought, isn't that a great picture? Pulling out the weeds of sin in our lives through prayer. Because we've died to sin and putting on Christ, advancing by faith in the path of holiness. Isn't Isn't it by death that God brings us home to heaven? Remember what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 14 as he spoke to his disciples in the upper room? Trying to bring them comfort. He said this. In my father's house are what? Many mansions. If it were not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. Receive you unto myself. That where I am there you may be able to. And he comes again through the portal of death. And by death he takes us out of time. Into the great eternity. To be with himself. Is that not. A recognition that Job had in his head. By death, God's at work. And true faith is rooted in that final recognition that by death, God is at work. He was prepared and ready when that day came. Let me ask you, are you? Because that ought to be the comfort of the people of God. The Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared? Because you've got true faith in Christ And you're dying to sin You've already been converted By the death of Christ You're dead to wrath And hell By by death you'll be transported to heaven If Jesus Christ doesn't bodily return Before that time By death you're advancing In the path of holiness Is that true of you tonight Only you can answer I asked have you got great faith Have you got genuine faith? Even faith as a grain of mustard seed is great faith in the eyes of our God. The Lord bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening tonight.